excited to be in Romans chapter 10 tonight, so please turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 10. Now that you've found Romans 10, if you would put a finger in Romans chapter 1, we're going to go back to verse 17 and do a little bit of a review, and then also put a finger in to Romans 8, uh, 37 through 39. I really feel like the Lord is going to do a special work tonight. Some of these uh, snowy evenings are my favorite because there's a, a special hunger in the room. You have made extra effort to be here, and I just sense that the Lord is going to speak to our hearts tonight, encourage us, challenge us. So I'm really looking forward to our time together in the Word. So, Father, we come before you, and we thank you for your Word. We thank you for your love that you give to us. And as we read in this chapter of the Gospel and the commission to, to be sent, we pray that the Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts, that we would be sent into your field. Lord, you tell us to pray that laborers would be raised up because the harvest is ready. So, Lord, may our hearts be open to what you would speak to us tonight. We pray that we would have obedient hearts, willing hearts, hearts of faith, Lord, to trust your work. I pray all of us here tonight would see your work in our lives in even a greater way in the future. Lord, would you dispel those doubts that we can't be used for your glory. May we see people come to know you. May we see marriages restored. Lord, your healing touch upon hearts and lives. And we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> the book of Romans, it's really important to get the flow, the overall outline of the book of Romans. So that's why I want to go back to chapter 1. So look with me at chapter 1 and verse 17, because this is the theme of the book of Romans. For in it is the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. The righteousness of God revealed through faith. That's the theme of the book of Romans. So if you were with us at the beginning of this study, we saw that the first three chapters li listed our need for God's righteousness, how we've fallen short of God's glory. Then when we got to the end of chapter three, we saw that that righteousness is provided in the finished work of Jesus Christ that we receive by faith. And chapters 4, 5, and 6 tell us our position that's in Christ. Remember that justified, just as though we've never sinned, declared righteous by the Lord. And then when we got into chapter 6, going into chapter 7, we learned about our sanctification, how we're set apart for Christ's righteousness. Now look at the end of chapter 8, 8 verse 37. It says, Yet in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. A glorious promise. Nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. Kent talked with us last week about Romans chapter 9. He did a great job, a difficult text, and he laid it out in a great way. I want us to understand why that the author of Romans, which is Paul, went to the nation of Israel. There's a lot of Bible commentators that don't understand Romans 9, 10, and 11 after the end of chapter 8. You have this great promise of God's unconditional love, and then it just seems like it switches gears to focus on the nation of Israel. And the question is, why? Why did Paul do that? Because Paul is just given this amazing promise that nothing can separate you from God's love, and the illustration is Israel. The proof that God has unconditional love is Israel. If God rejected the nation of Israel, then what hope would there be for Gentile believers who are grafted in? But because God has made an unconditional commitment of love to the nation of Israel, we can stand strong in knowing God's unconditional love for us. If you've ever heard of replacement theology, it's this, that God has rejected the nation of Israel and the church has replaced Israel. And I don't think that is biblical because of Romans 9, 10, and 11. It goes through Israel's rejection. We're going to read some of that tonight of how Israel has rejected Jesus Christ, 
But God has a future plan for the nation of Israel, even though there was disobedience in their hearts and lives. So Romans 9 is Israel's past. Romans 10 is Israel's present. And then Romans 11 is Israel's future. There are certain things that you're going to be tested on in your biblical understanding culturally. And one of those is standing with the nation of Israel. It's not culturally correct to stand with the nation of Israel, but it is biblically correct. Because God says that he'll bless those who bless Israel and he'll curse those who curse Israel. It doesn't mean that everything that Israel does as a nation is right, but it does mean that they are God's chosen people and that God is committed to them. Why is that important for you as a Gentile believer? Because it gets you to a deeper understanding of God's unconditional love for you. As we go through chapter 10, I want you to focus on three words with me tonight. And the first is rejection. We're going to look at Israel's rejection. Then we're going to look at God's invitation. It's the gospel. And then as we continue on and we get towards the end of this, we're going to see the commission. It's what we're to do with the gospel. So rejection, invitation, and commission. Let's look at verse 1 of chapter 10. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. Paul was a Jew of the Jews, of the tribe of Benjamin, had a heart for his chosen people. In chapter 9, he even said that he'd be accursed in order that Israel would be saved. He was willing to go to hell in order for Israel to be saved, to come to know Christ their Savior. Paul loved the nation of Israel so much that it was hard for him to accept the call to go to Gentiles. From a resume perspective, Paul was the perfect candidate to reach the nation of Israel. But God said, I don't live on paper. Have you ever experienced that? God doesn't live in resumes. He says, Paul, I want you to go to the Gentiles. But it was always Paul's heart and his prayer that Israel would be saved. Is that your heart and is that your prayer? God's desire, what God's economy is, is not nations and dollar bills. It's not nations and currency. God's not American. He's not Ugandan. He's not Chinese. None of those things. He's God who's created all the people groups of the world, and he sees lost people that he desires to be saved. That's what he sees more than nations and and economies. That's what his heart is. He doesn't want any to perish. And as we grow in Christ, God wants us to have that heart. He wants us to begin to grow in this area of prayer for those that don't know Christ. So he begins to describe the nation of Israel in verse 2. For I bear them witness that they have zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. You can't say that Israel's not zealous. That they're not committed in their works to the Lord. But there's a lack of knowledge there. And some would even argue that. Because the nation of Israel understands the law from a technical perspective. The minutia of the law. But they missed the main point of the law, which is Jesus. That Christ is the Messiah. So where are they lacking knowledge in verse 3? For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness have, sum, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. Let's slow down and really break down that verse, verse 3. They were ignorant of God's righteousness. So they didn't come to understand how holy God was and how we can't approach God through our own works. Our works are just filthy rags compared to the Lord. And then they tried to establish their own righteousness. How did they do that? Through rules, through the law, through regulations, not trusting in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Anybody that tries to approach God through their own works, they're trying to establish their own righteousness while being ignorant of God's righteousness, and then they haven't submitted to the righteousness of God. What's the righteousness of God? It's Jesus. They haven't submitted to the imputed righteousness of God, a righteousness that can only come through faith. They miss the main point of Jesus Christ. Let's ponder this. You study, you go to church, you fast, you pray, you read commentaries, you tithe, even on your herbs. Maybe you're a foodie and you grow herbs in your garden. 
You go, you know, the Lord's really blessed my herb garden. I'm going to tithe some rosemary unto the Lord. We like food at our house. My wife enjoys growing food and cooking food, and I enjoy eating food. It's, it's a pretty great arrangement. She's actually got a rosemary plant in our house, the pot of rosemary that she cooks with. If I use rosemary, I get the dried rosemary that's in the jar. But what if you're so intense that you're like, I'm going to tithe on the rosemary. I'm going to make sure that God gets his 10% of the rosemary. But yet missed the whole entire point of Jesus Christ. We need to be careful that studying the word is not an end in and of itself. That we don't just get all of the information. That we're like a porcupine that we have a lot of sharp points, but we're not very approachable. We miss Jesus Christ. The, the word of God should bring us into relationship with Jesus, should bring us into fellowship with Jesus. We don't want to be in this place where we lack the true knowledge and the, the, the true understanding. So take the truth of God's word, bring it into fellowship, bring it into relationship. I'm always convicted when I look at the scribes and the Pharisees how diligently they studied, how well that they knew the word academically, but they didn't know Jesus. They didn't have the love of God. They didn't understand the mercy of God. So this is our first word. This is our first and our three points. It's rejection. They didn't submit to the righteousness of Christ. They tried to approach God through their own righteousness. Verse four, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes you've been studying with us through Hebrews, these two coincide perfectly. The purpose of the law was to bring us to Christ, to bring us to an imputed righteousness. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. We become righteous as we live by faith, as we trust in Jesus Christ. Look at the end of chapter 9. We look at <clears throat> verse 31 down to verse 33, but Israel pursuing the law of righteousness has not attained to the law of righteousness. Why? Because they didn't seek it by faith. But as it were, by the works of the law, for they stumbled at the stumbling stone. As is written, behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone, a rock of offense, and whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. Many people stumble at Jesus Christ, the cornerstone. Many people reject him through unbelief, and that's exactly what, what Israel did. So we look at verse 5. For Moses writes about the righteousness which is of the law. The man who does those things shall live by them. Quoting out of Leviticus. Quoting from Moses. The man who does those things shall live by them. If you're going to try to approach God through the law, then you have to do all of it. You have to surrender to, to all of it. A lot of times when people are trying to live under the law, I've heard them describe it like this. It's a giant elephant. And so you have to take one bite at a time. You have to do one law at a time. And you could never do all of the laws, but you've got to start somewhere, so do one law at a time. And that's not what God teaches. If you're going to try to get to heaven based on the law, you've got to do all of them. If I'm recalling right, there's 613 laws given to us in the Torah. If you want to approach God through a rules and regulation-based system, you've got to do all of it. And it's not even possible anymore. There's no more animal sacrifice in the temple. It quickly drives us to Jesus Christ. Verse 6, but the righteousness of faith speaks this way. So now we get to our second word, which is invitation. This is God's invitation. It, it's the gospel. The righteousness of faith, this is how God describes it. Do you say in your heart, who shall ascend to heaven? that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. So some people feel like Christ is so far away. I gotta go up to, to heaven. I gotta somehow climb this ladder to get to heaven and, and bring Christ down. Or maybe if I dig and dig and dig some more, I can bring Christ up from the abyss. I remember feeling this way when I, I wasn't walking with the Lord. That God was so far away. Who could figure him out, and, and who could know, and is God true, and is he good, and in my mind, I had put God in this place. A lot of times, I think 
that in our own perspective, we don't want God to be accessible, and we don't want God to be close, because if we put him in some faraway castle that's unattainable, then we really don't have to deal with him. Isn't that true? So that's what a lot of people are thinking, but notice how close salvation is to the nation of Israel and to all. But what does it say? This is God speaking. The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. How close is Christ? How close is this invitation? It's right here. It's right in your heart. It's that decision of faith. How how close is faith? Well, it's right there. You're right on the doorstep of faith. Christ is accessible. He's made himself accessible through his death and, and his resurrection. All you have to do is cry out. You don't have to try to climb to the heavens or, or dig down to, to the abyss. You simply have to turn to the Lord in faith. He's right there. The word of faith, it's near you. It's been, it's been preached to you. So here's how you receive it. Here's how you to open up that invitation. This is an important verse. Verse 9 here. This is a great verse to memorize, to underline, to know where it is in your Bible. Part of what I think God wants to do tonight is this reminder and maybe transformation in our minds from if someone doesn't know Christ as their Savior, I need to bring them to the church to hear the gospel. Now, that's a good thing. I'm so thankful that we all invite unsaved people to hear to Rocky Mount Calvary. But guess what? You know Romans 10.9. In just a moment, you will have been taught Romans 10.9. And instead of saying, hey, come, come to church and, and hear about Jesus, you can open up your Bible and say, you know what? Here's God's invitation. Right now, in this moment, you can turn to Christ through faith. You can trust in Jesus and point them to the good news of Jesus Christ and pray with them and see someone come to know Christ as their Savior. A pastor doesn't have to pray with someone to receive Christ as their Savior. In fact, it's nothing to do with us. It's not us who's making the decision. It's them. You're deciding. It's your decision. You're turning to God in your heart. You're choosing faith. And I'm simply giving an opportunity to lead you in that prayer. A lot of people don't know what to say. And so we get that privilege of being able to lead them in a prayer. But it's their heart that's crying out to Jesus Christ. So this verse is for all of us to own, for all of us to be able to share with others. And if you don't know Christ, to receive it for the first time. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. To confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. What exactly are we confessing? What exactly are we believing? that God has raised him from the dead, the result then is you will be saved. As we confess, we're confessing with the mouth the Lord Jesus. Why is the mouth confession important? Jesus told us that if we deny Christ before men, he'll deny us before the Father, but if we confess Christ before men, he'll confess us before the Father. This doesn't mean that if you go through your life Rejecting Christ, then you receive Christ and you proclaim Christ that you won't be forgiven. But it's speaking of a whole entire life. That throughout your whole entire life, you you reject Christ. So that verbal confession that Jesus Christ is Lord is important. I would encourage you, don't be ashamed of the fact that you believe in Jesus as your Savior. Don't, Don't be ashamed to confess he's my Lord. I believe in him. I trust in him for my salvation. But it's not simply just the the mouth confession, it's also the belief in the heart that he is Lord Jesus. Some people miss heaven, it's been described by 18 inches. That's the distance between your heart and your mouth approximately. Say it with their mouth, but they don't believe it in their heart. We've all said things that we don't really mean, don't we? In the positive and in the negative. Can I get an amen on that one? You didn't believe it in your heart. You you, you didn't mean to say it, but you said it. But this is different. There's a heart confession that I believe in the Lord Jesus. I know these are phrases that we are familiar with, names that we are familiar with, but let's 
give them definition. What, what does the name Jesus mean? Jesus means that he will save his people from their sins. It describes his mission, that he came to die upon the cross. When we're proclaiming the Lord Jesus, we're proclaiming that he's Savior. We're believing that he's God, that he died for our sins and rose again. Lord is his position. Lord is his title. When we come to Jesus Christ in a saving way, we're repenting of our sins, we're turning away from our sins, and we're inviting him to be the Lord of our life. We're saying, I'm tired of being my own master. I'm tired of being my own boss, and I'm receiving the lordship of Jesus Christ. doesn't mean that we're going to be perfect, but there is a decision that's made where I'm allowing him to take the throne of my life. That's what I'm confessing with my mouth. I, I understand what he did upon the cross as my savior, his death and resurrection, and I'm inviting him to be the Lord of my heart <clears throat> and the Lord of my life. And as we believe that God raised him from the dead, then the promise is you will be saved. God grants salvation to us. In verse 10, for with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Now, is that far away? That's not far away. Christ is right here. And the moment that you turn to Christ in faith, the just shall live by faith, you receive his righteousness upon the cross. Ask him to be the Lord of your life. Believe in the resurrection. Guess what? God says you're saved. God says you've received salvation. It's close. It's, it's near. When you're talking with that unsaved relative, with that friend, with a stranger about Christ and the gospel, Jesus is right there. It's not you've got to ascend to heaven. It's not you need to dig down to the abyss. It's you can repent and believe right now. Isn't that exciting? to know that that invitation is that close to those that will turn to the Lord, that will draw near to the Lord through faith. In verse 11, for the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. Does your Bible say whoever? Mine says whoever. That's a lot of people. That's a really broad invitation. Does God really mean that? Is that extended to everybody that's in our prison system tonight? Is that ex extended to CJC? Is that extended to the Broadmoor? Is that extended to 16th Street Mall? Is that extended to all the pot shops? Is that extended to the Republican Party? Is that extended to the Republican Party? Is that extended to the Tea Party? Is that extended to any old party? Is that extended to the self-righteous? It's whoever. That's God's heart. That's God's invitation. Whoever will come to him through faith, trusting in the finished work of Jesus Christ, they will not be put to shame. This is a quote out of Isaiah 28, verse 16. May God give us a whosoever theology. As we see people, we see people that Jesus died for, that Jesus is longing to be in relationship for. And this really goes to the crux of the matter for this church in Rome, for there's no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the Lord is the same Lord over all, is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The Jews had a hard time adopting God's heart for the Gentiles. The Gentiles had a hard time gaining God's heart for the Jews. And you're saying, I'm lost. I'm new to the scriptures. I don't know what Jew and Gentile means. Jew is an Israelite, someone who's from the nation of Israel. A Gentile <clears throat> is everybody who's not a Jew, who's not ethnically a Jew. And this was a huge division in the early church. How does it apply to us? Is there anybody or any group of people that has been left out of the Great Commission? And the Great Commission is go out into all the world, preach the gospel. We're going to look at it a little more closely in just a moment. But for you personally, is there anybody that you've taken out of the Great Commission? You've said, in my heart, 
I don't believe that Jesus died for them because of what they've done to me, because of what they've done to the United States of America. Who knows? But for some reason, there's some kind of prejudice that has come into our hearts and come into our minds that we go, you know what? I don't have the kind of love that God would want me to have for them. An area that this has been a work in progress for me has been for Muslims. And I think largely because of some of the attacks that have taken place to America. And I didn't really think that this was an issue for me until several years ago. I was in Kenya at a pastor's conference that I was doing with Jeff Anderson from Grace Bible. A guy came with us named Nabil Javur. I don't even know if I'm saying his name right, but he lives here in the Springs. He was a missionary to Egypt for a long time. And in the evenings, he was teaching a workshop on how to reach Muslims. It's a big deal for pastors in Eastern Africa. They're surrounded by Muslims. And they have a lot of atrocities that happen to them by radical Islamists. It was a beautiful night underneath the African sky. Nabil has this projector that's up, and he's talking about Muslims. And he asks the same question that I just asked you. Is there anybody that you've left out of the Great Commission? And I felt the Holy Spirit start wrestling with me. Eric, you know how you feel about the Muslim world. You don't have a heart for them. You don't pray for them. It's easy for you to be prejudiced uh, against them. That's this Jew-Gentile thing that we're talking about here. That's how the Jews felt about the Gentiles and the Gentiles felt about the Jews. And I'm American through and through. I'm so thankful for our country. I'm thankful for all of those that have served in, in our country. But at the same time, it's wrong for me to look at the Muslim world and not long for them to come to know Christ as their Savior. I was tested on this about 10 days ago. It was the beginning part of last week, I believe. I was at Starbucks, and Hannah and I, my oldest daughter, were having a little father-daughter date on a day off. I think it was a Monday or a or a Tuesday. There was a lady sitting in the Starbucks, and she, her head was covered. And uh, I thought, well, she's probably Muslim. And I, and I just began to think about this as I was talking with Hannah. And I kind of already began to assume thoughts in my mind about her because her head was covered. And she gets up, and she walks by Hannah, and she really smiles at, at Hannah. I thought, oh, that's interesting. She put something in the trash, and then she comes back by my table, and then she walks right up to us, and I've never seen her before in my life, never talked to her, and she goes, are you Pastor Eric? And I said, yeah, I am, and I felt like saying, who are you, you know, <laughs> and uh, really quickly, she said, I'm Ethiopian, I've been here in the Springs for, for six years, I'm a Christian, and I've had a really hard time feeling welcome at churches that I go to in Colorado Springs because in Ethiopia, we really have a strict view in that all women should have their head covered. So I have this conviction that I have, have my head covered. And she wasn't thinking that like all women should have their head covered. It's just her conviction to have her head covered. And so whenever she goes to church, everybody gets the same assumption that I had when I saw her. She's a Muslim woman. And here she was a sister in Christ, but by the way she looked, and the way she dressed, I immediately put her in one category before I even got to know her. I still don't know how she knows who I am. I think she's probably been listening to Christian radio and listening to our teaching ministry on the radio. And that's how she recognized my voice. So we welcomed her to church. We said, we want you to come. You'll feel welcome here. So if a woman comes into Rocky Mountain with her head covered, <laughs> please greet her and don't assume that she's Muslim. And then she said that her husband had passed away uh, since she'd been here in the States and she's all alone and Hannah and I got to pray for her and it was a, a really neat time. But it exposed something in my heart that I immediately went to a line of thinking just by the way that someone was dressed. We all do it. We all do it. Somebody wears a certain type of clothes, they walk a certain way, and we immediately put them in a category, don't we, before we even get to know them. 
and the work of Christ in our lives is that we begin to see them with a new set of lenses, a new set of cultural worldview, and it's not Muslim, business guy, party person, sexually immoral, arrogant, all these labels that we put on people when we first see them is that we look at them and we go, wow, there's somebody that Jesus loves. There's someone whose salvation is near to them. All they need to do is cry out to Jesus Christ, realize their need for, for Jesus Christ, and they'll be saved. And that's a growing process, something that we'll be growing in until we come to home to be with the Lord. That's the invitation. And then let's look at the commission in verse 14. <clears throat> How then shall they call on him in whom they've not believed? It's a good question. How shall they call upon Christ for salvation that they've not believed? And how shall they believe? How do they get to the place of belief in him of whom they've not heard? So, so how are they going to believe on Jesus to call out on him through faith if they've never even heard his name? They've never heard this invitation of the gospel that we've just gone over. And how shall they hear without a preacher or a herald or a messenger? I want you to think for just a moment who was the person or group of people that introduced you to Jesus Christ? Who was the one that uttered the name of Jesus to you? Was it a parent? Was it a grandparent? Was it a teacher, a coach, a friend, a relative? Who was it? God chose to use that person in your life to speak the name of Jesus. Neither of my parents grew up in a Christian home. They were the first ones to be saved on either side of the family. My mom never remembers hearing the gospel told to her until she was in high school. Didn't receive Christ in high school, but remembers that person that cared about her enough to give her that first exposure and plant the seed of the gospel. Who was it in your life? They responded to something that we call the commission, the call that Jesus has given to us. They were willing to share. They were willing to announce. They were willing to preach. They were willing to invest and bring us the news of Jesus Christ. So you're following the progression here. How is someone going to believe unless they hear? How are they going to hear unless someone shares? How is someone going to share unless verse 15 and how shall they preach unless they are sent? How's anybody going to go out and proclaim the name of Jesus Christ unless they're sent? This is what I think a lot of times we hear when we read verse 15. Lord, I am so glad that Kent and Becca Nolly are sent to go to Uganda. Lord, we're ascending church and we're just going to get behind them in the name of Jesus. So thankful for that. You know, I'm so thankful for this person that's doing that work and, and this work. I'm so thankful that they're sent. And this is what I want us to see tonight. This is why I'm so excited about this service right now. Us being here together is you're sent. I'm sent. We're sent. We're called. No, 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 no. I'm great with all of this, but I'm not great with that part right there. So turn with me to Matthew 28. I want you to see this from the words of Christ. Matthew chapter 28. This is what's referred to as the Great Commission. Let's look at verse 16. Christ is risen. Matthew 28, verse 16, reading down to verse 20. Then the 11 disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed to them. When they saw him, they worshiped, and some doubted. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things that I've commanded you. And, lo, I'm with you always, even till the end of the age." Go. Go. 
go. That sure sounds like being sent, doesn't it? This group, especially right here, I know you guys. I know your students at Scripture. I know that you know the Gospels. And you know the disciples. They were far from perfect, weren't they? They had their own struggles. They had their own issues. But they were committed to Christ. And Christ sends these knuckleheads out into a lost and dying world. And he fills them with the Holy Spirit. He says, follow the Holy Spirit. Follow what the Holy Spirit's doing. And the most exciting thing as a Christian is to get saved by grace and start to have a contagious fever to share that grace with others. God saved me. He wants to save others. Holy Spirit, what are you doing today? What do you want to do? What are you doing in my workplace? What are you doing in my neighborhood? What are you doing in my family? I want to go. I want to be open to what you're telling me to do and taking those steps of faith. Guys, there's churches that needed to be planted in this community, and some of you need to plant them. We've got people that are driving an hour each way to come to this church every single week, and some of you are ready to pastor churches. Go pastor churches. Do it. We're with you. More importantly, the Holy Spirit's with you. Woodland Park needs a Bible-teaching church. There's giants up there, but God, man, he falls giants. The whole east part of our city, Falcon, and going out to Callahan, and going out to Lyman. There's no Bible teaching that I know of that's happening out there. Verse by verse teaching. Go for it. What are you waiting for? Watch the Holy Spirit work and move. Maybe the Lord is stirring you to do something that's completely out of your comfort zone. My wife and I were talking about some things today that we feel like God's stirring us to. I'm like, no, I don't think he's stirring us to. I do not think he's stirring us to do this. This is going to be for somebody else. I can think of a hundred reasons why we're not supposed to do this. And don't get nervous. We don't feel like he's calling us away from RMC. This is a very small little thing that our family's supposed to do. But I'm like, ah, you know, I don't, I don't think we're supposed to do this. I think the Lord wants us to do this. But it's just a small little outreach that we're supposed to do as a family. I don't know. I, I, I don't know. It's, I don't know if we should do that. And we're all wrestle with that point of, well, what's going to happen? I might get rejected. Well, I don't know if we have the resources for this. I don't know if we've got the experience to, to do this. And then we miss out on what God's wanting to do. Don't get the wrong idea. God will raise up somebody else. That's what God spoke to Esther through her uncle Mordecai. Esther, if you don't want to step up and you don't want to go for it right now, God will bring deliverance another way. He doesn't need the Cartiers. He doesn't need you. He'll do it with someone else. But he wants to use us. And there's that privilege of getting to be God's conduit, of seeing God's grace and seeing this invitation go out and seeing God bring people to come to know Christ as their Savior. A lot of times, I think in our minds, we really don't believe that somebody's going to get saved. We're like, man, if I, if I share with my neighbor they probably don't want to receive Christ anyway. You know, if I, if I call them to repentance and getting right with the Lord, nah. You know, if I took that step of faith in my family, nah. If I, if I follow the Holy Spirit, it's not going to work. Is the pessimism a gift of the Spirit? Because if it is, I might have it. <laughs> I might possess that gift, right? Just go for it. Go. Build relationships. Love people. Care for them. Tell them of the gospel that Jesus died from rose again and see what happens and see the, the working of the Lord. Now, after reading this, let's go back to Romans and let's look at this beautiful promise in verse 15. It says, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. There's not... Too many times that feet are beautiful. Can I get an amen on that right there? Feet are very rarely beautiful, but our feet become beautiful as we're sent with the love of Jesus Christ, with the gospel, with the invitation. And there's peace. 
to those who preach the gospel of priests, who bring glad tidings of good things. I've often thought of this verse, it's a quote out of Isaiah 52, as having happy feet. There's something happens when my life gets on mission with God's mission. When I'm willing to go, I'm willing to give up my comforts, I'm willing to risk rejection, I'm willing to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit, you'd think at that moment all joy would go out the window. But it's when all joy comes into our lives because we've finally gotten over selfishness, haven't we? We start taking up our cross and living for Jesus the way he taught us to, and then joy overcomes our lives. I don't know why, but there is just a joy that comes into my life when I'm sharing the gospel. There's nothing like it. The joy of speaking of God's love. And a personal challenge for me is to do it outside of this building. It's a privilege to do it here in service, week in and and week out. But it is a monologue, and a lot of you will not interrupt in the midst of the service, right? But there's something just when I'm doing life, and I'm with my family and in my neighborhood and the stores that I normally go to and, and around people that don't know Christ their Savior, when there's an open door to share the love of Jesus Christ. Maybe you've just been really down in the dumps. Try it. Share the gospel with five people this week. Say, God, would you give me some divine appointments to share the gospel with others and see if the Lord is faithful to his promise. There's happy feet. We see it with people that go on short-term missions trips. Please pray. We have 20 going to Uganda March 10th. They come back with happy feet. They're like, you were dirty and hanging out with Ebola and stuff like that? No, there's, there's not Ebola right now in Uganda, but there has been prior in, in 2008. Some of you are going, ah, I'm going on that trip, right? <laughs> it's like, go be uncomfortable for two weeks and they come back happy. How did that happen? Because they're focusing on God's mission. And we can do God's mission everywhere we're at, amen? We don't have to be on a short-term missions trip. We can live our lives that way. We can live our lives inside of being sent by Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. We'll finish up the chapter in verse 16. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah said, Lord, who has believed our report? Not everybody's gonna respond to the message of the gospel. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Share the word, share the word. Because it's the word of God that builds faith. And then faith upon the gospel results in salvation. How do you build up your faith as a believer? Hear the word of God. Read the word of God. Listen to the word of God. We've got so much access to the word of God. Take advantage of it. Growing up, a lot of times going to bed when we were young children, my mom would get the cassette player. Remember those? My family had invested in the Bible on cassette. She would push play. My brother and I would lay, lay in bed listening to, to God's word. God's word's powerful. It has impact. Put it on. Let it just soak in. Let it build you up. Let it build up others. Listen to it. I'm preaching to the choir. You're here on a snowy Wednesday night because you believe Romans 10, 17. But I say, have they not heard? Yes, indeed. Their sounds has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. This is the general revelation that God's given through creation and his intent to give through the gospel as the gospel's taken through all the earth, through all the world. But I say, did Isaiah not know? First Moses says, so quoting Isaiah and now quoting from Moses' writings, I will provoke you to jealousy by those who are not a nation. I will move you to anger by a foolish nation. This is how God is gonna reach the nation of Israel by reaching the Gentiles and the Gentiles provoke the nation of Israel to jealousy. There's nothing like stirring up love when that person moves on and begins to love another then that person begins to realize what they've lost. So Israel being provoked to to love as they see the Gentiles come to faith. But Isaiah is very bold and says, 
I was found by those who didn't seek me. I was made manifest to those who didn't ask for me. Isaiah 65 verse 1, speaking of the Gentiles. The Gentiles were saved even though they didn't seek the Lord. In verse 21, but to Israel he says, have I not stretched out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people? So God's saving of the Gentiles isn't a rejection of the nation of Israel, but to provoke Israel to that place of trusting in Christ. And we see God's unconditional love, God's present condition with the nation of Israel, where his hands are stretched out all day long to this largely rejecting chosen people, the amazing love of God. So we've seen the rejection, we've seen the invitation, and then we've also seen the commission. So two applications tonight as we close, and I'll be done, is first, do you need to be saved tonight? Do you need to come to that place of turning from your sin and trusting in Jesus Christ for salvation, to believe in your heart, confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus that God raised him from the dead and you'll be saved. You need to call upon the name of Jesus Christ. Just because you're at church, just because you're religious, doesn't mean that you know Christ as your savior. Maybe it's your first time to church ever. Maybe you've never been in a church building. Either way, have you trusted in Christ for salvation? Let's keep it very simple tonight. If you haven't said yes, the important thing is you saying yes in your heart, you believing in your heart and confessing with your mouth. And we'd like to give you an opportunity to do that as we come and take communion. Find someone on the ministry team. Let them know I'm ready to receive Christ as my Savior. We'll lead you in a prayer. You'll get to pray from your heart and confess that Jesus Christ is your Savior. And then the second, and I think this is who the majority of I'm speaking to tonight, is where's the Holy Spirit sending you? For real. Not just another Bible study tonight. Not just to check off the list we've got through Romans chapter 10. What's the Holy Spirit doing? What are you supposed to do? Where are you supposed to go? What's he been saying? Let's do it. Let's go there. Let's go to that place. One of the core values of RMC, a few years ago, we wrote down some of our core values. And one of them is, is we believe that God can defeat the giants. What are the giants that are keeping us from following God's call? And let's not put size on God's call. There's nothing that's too small to walk in obedience. It may be crossing the street. It may be a conversation with a child. It may be an act that doesn't involve any words. It may be going home and serving tonight in a different way that you would serve. Maybe scraping someone's windshield of some snow. It may be moving to a country that you didn't even know was on the map. The size doesn't matter. One is not greater than the other. It's that small thing or that big thing in our perspective of saying, yes, Lord. What if we woke up more of our days on mission with God's mission. More of our days saying, Lord, what's on your heart today? Lord, send me. Send me. Where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? I want to be obedient to that. And I'll leave you with this. Maybe you've heard me share this before. Played some Little League growing up. Anybody play some Little League baseball? All right. Well, This may surprise you, but I'm not very good at hitting the ball and not so great at catching the ball. So when I was playing Little League, where do you think they put me? Right field. And also the bench. Because in Little League, they have to play you at least half the game. And then if you're not one of the better players, then you get to go work on your sunflower seed skills on the bench. There's not a lot that happens in a little league game out in right field. So your mind's wandering, and you just start picking daisies. You're just kind of goofing off. You're a kid. You're 10 years old. For a lot of us, that's how our Christian life feels. Oh, another Bible study, another devotional, another worship song. This is great. So boring. 
And then it's a whole nother thing to get off of the bench. And it becomes really exciting. And I think we, we look around and we go, wow, sure seems like they're enjoying their Christian life. It really seems like God's using them. Wow, there's joy in their life. I wonder what's missing. And I think a lot of times for us, what's missing is simply being engaged in God's mission, being engaged with God's heart and beginning to take action upon that. I think God wants this week to look different. <clears throat> From this Wednesday to next Wednesday, put some things in action. Say, God, what's on your heart? I'm, I'm kind of rambling, but I'm going to ramble a little bit more. Bob Simon, 60 Minutes. I'm a 60 Minutes fan. I'm, I know that makes me kind of geeky, but I like the news, and I like 60 Minutes. He died. Bob Simon is, is dead. 47 years covering stories with 60 Minutes. All over the world, conflicts, wars. That was his thing. He loved to cover I didn't realize it till this week, but he was taken captive by Saddam Hussein's forces for a month. Do you know how he died? In a car accident, leaving the studio after shooting some news there in New York. Isn't that ironic? He went all over the world, the most dangerous places in the world, and he died in his car. Do you know what his last story was? He was covering the Ebola breakout and he was talking with a Samaritan's Purse missionary, a medical doctor. The last story he ever did was with a Christian. You think God's hand was in that? Absolutely. That just goes to show our life is really fleeting. We go, I don't know if I can do this or I don't know if I could risk this. When it's your time to go, it's your time to go. Amen? So let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for your heart for the world. We just ask for a fresh pouring out of the Spirit and even more of that, ears to hear. That we would hear what the Holy Spirit is saying to this church and we would respond in walking in obedience. In Jesus' name.